So this uh, time together session has been uh, named and sort of gathered together around the theme of healing the cracks. Mm. And what are the cracks? Well, yeah. Well, there are many of them actually. We look around; these are the sources of pain, exploitation, domination and uh, wounding uh, so it you know you name it between people and the planet and the earth exploitation domination mm-hmm. just use it as you want there's a crack there no respect no mutuality between people and other people Living with ourselves. Between what we feel we are and what we should be. Mm. Between our emotions and our logic. Between our bodies and our minds. Cracks. Fear. Uncertainty, overwhelmed, lost, people out in their heads, unable to find ground, balance, harmony in themselves. Then it goes on, and in that broken state, all the brokenness is projected out, and we do the same thing to each other. And the same thing to the animals and the planet. And it all seems like a world of separate objects. And once they're out of my sight, it doesn't matter. Once they're the other side of the hill, it doesn't matter. Once they're just them, it doesn't matter. All that matters is me. But this is broken too. So me retreats to a little dissociated space. <coughs> Beset with besieged mentality. Anxious about other beings. Uncertain about death. Denying it pushing it aside, 
unable to to handle that. Bound by suffering, sorrow, pain, lamentation, grief and despair, and even unwilling to to name it as that. This is the, the broken process, pro- breakage. <coughs> and where does the healing begin? Hmm. Sometimes, you know, we just have to say we find a beginning and we uh, try to spread that as best we can and find any, any place you can begin, really. It's an act of generosity, that's a beginning. It's a movement of compassion, that's a beginning. And these are the perhaps the most ready ways we, we already know that we do. Mm-hmm. And he reckons when you do that, at least you're entering the place that can do it, the empathic place. Mm-hmm. And we must know this and trust it and have faith in it, because it's the only healer that we have it's the only uh, thing that can heal and make whole and even if it's painful and doesn't really know what to do we have to go there because that's the only thing that can do it even a little bit even a small amount of it even within oneself even towards one other person, even towards a dog, plant, wherever you can do it. You just do it because that's what you begin to know you can trust and you recognise if you keep doing it, it's going to grow and it's going to swell. As it does, you become more whole. As you become more whole, your potential grows. Your potential grows you extended a bit further to beings that one fears, mistrusts, feels dissociated with. You can at least empathise with them. You don't have to like them or admire them. You can at least feel sympathy for their brokenness. And so it goes. You can turn it around. And you don't know how long it takes or where it goes to. But you know you can do it. Well, you know you can try. You know you can keep practicing it. Because it's really the best thing you've got as a human being. This is called karma. Skillful karma. <coughs> it means intentional action. And we're saying action on the chitta so action we think this is the mind it's not thought chitta is heart awareness is that spreading heart awareness as far as you can and you know you just have to recognize this is as far as you can go right now i'm still bounded by fear mistrust confusion uncertainty i can take it this far and with faith recognize well maybe if i keep can generate even through these difficult places in myself, in my own brokenness, or in other people. 
not in the world around me. Anywhere I can do it, I want to do it because the overall effect is going to help me, you know. And if I my potential increases, then it's going to naturally spread to other beings. <coughs> Cannot be another way. So it doesn't really matter in a way where you start. As long as you generate that quality, then and you begin to at least bear in mind the places where you find it difficult, towards yourself, towards others. You say, okay, we'll just, we'll have to wait on that one. But let's keep, you know, bear it in mind. Because as long as I am not empathic to another, somewhere it's going to be part of my brokenness, my inability to extend, that's my limitation. And I don't have to like people to have empathy for them, or agree with them, or understand them. If I can't, then say, well, here I'm still still too shut down at this time. You know, and I've said earlier, you know, one of the ways, simple kind of perhaps poetic colloquial ways is to be able to say you to everything instead of it. And I, I realized that because I was listening to Sister Abigail the other day and she came by, this is very, probably know her, but you know, she's had an orphanage I mean, that's putting it very, very simply and <laughs> minimally. But um, she was talking, obviously, she learned a lot of references I couldn't understand who she was talking about. I was listening to this person, some of the anecdotes. This is someone who knows how to say you to everything, or to a lot of be- beings, who, who can very well say it, him, them, too. You know? So some little baby that's thrown out in the trash because it's born premature and it's disease, so some mother just thinks, oh well, dump it. And Sister Abigail looks at it, you, picks it up. Doesn't matter if it lives one hour. For one hour it's going to be you. Instead of it, doesn't matter. If it lives for one day, it doesn't matter. If it lives for one minute, it doesn't matter, it's going to be you. You know, that's what can be offered. And miracles, you know, this little baby, still alive, seven years old, healed because of that ability to say you to it. And what that brings around, you say you to it, you pick it up, you hold it, and you never let it go. And the power of that, you know. This is where, you know, the immaterial is so trivialized. You know, doctors have written somebody off. Physically, you can't make it. Mm. You know, that's the, that's the crack, isn't it? The material, the immaterial. <coughs> immaterial is just thoughts and ideas and funny wobbly stuff called emotions. Nothing to do with the material, which is skin, bone, flesh, rocks, trees. You know, and there's the crack, isn't it? When you say you to some of it, and you can see in organic systems, they pick it up, and of all organic systems, human beings surely the ones we most really attuned to pick it up. The use sense. Um, do you think it's not possible? I was looking at the video clip somebody sent me, and there's this uh, 
story behind it is this man found in Brazil found a penguin a penguin a little baby penguin chick smothered in oil you know so it's tar and oil so it's you know, one of those terrible pollution things so he takes the chick out and he carefully cleans it and bathes it and washes it and tidies it up and looks after it a little while and then you know sets this little baby penguin free chicks alive and healthy and you know the chick they live in Antarctica and every year once a year this this penguin swims 5,000 miles from Antarctica up to Brazil to say hello because <laughs> <laughs> somebody didn't see this little messy ball of goo and say oh well that's the way it goes. And he said, you to the little penguin and cleaned it. And, and this penguin, it's 5,000 miles. You can see this video clip of this man sitting on a beach, this penguin coming, his clip is going. <laughs> he recognises, he starts kind of pecking and nibbling his face and stroking his face with his beak. <laughs> so penguin can do this, why can't I? <laughs> see somebody, I want to kind of wave my flippers and rub them with my beak, but it doesn't go down well in human company. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there it is, isn't it? The immaterial, which is bigger? How can you, a little thing like this, 5,000 material miles based on empathy? (laughs) You know, how can something be cured based on empathy? Well, there it is. And no one's going to do it. I've seen quite a few of these clips of people with gorillas and lions and they've healed and animals still have, still have affection for them. When you treat them mean, they're going, to, they're going to get frightened and nasty for sure. And the Buddha says, you know, if you practice metta, then animals do not fear you. You need not fear them. It's one of the old... Uh, you know, maps for the Tudong monks, and they wanted to go wandering, so they wandered from Thailand to India. Where's your map? Map is the metta sutta and a candle. And head that way. <laughs> Practice metta to all beings, have a candle at night, head that way. That's the map. <laughs> And then you will not be harmed by animals, by spirits, by human beings. Generate a field. So, material is not a world of logic. In fact, logic tends to feel very uncomfortable with these kind of empathic um, references. And when we feel uncomfortable, strangely uncomfortable, odd, awkward, embarrassed, uncertain, you can be sure there's a crack somewhere. That's what's causing it, cracking ourselves. That's nothing to feel guilty about, ashamed of, just to acknowledge. Between people, 
it's quite natural and normal to feel that sense because of this uh, you know the splits that occur in, in sense consciousness and in social conditioning so it's just like that isn't it so mm. social conditioning people conditioning fear of pain hurt offence and so on feeling being dismissed blamed looked down upon not doing the right thing so on. so this takes some practice and noble company good company to to begin to uh, relax release now this is what I'm offering what I'm recommending suggesting is this uh, reference to fields and maybe beginning to get a sense of what fields are you can liken them to magnetic fields it's just another word electromagnetic fields, force fields, energy fields because that's probably the thing that one can most readily refer to as, as just, this is just concepts the fields essentially are neither solid but they're not absent either, they're just lines of energy put it like that can't you is a magnetic field is that an object not really but is it not there no what is it it's a tendency it's a potential and uh, human organic fields have tremendous potentials to expand to change to fluctuate to send huge currents through them to diminish and even to subside called the ceasing nibbana subsiding the field and one of the great obvious fields we have we all recognize is what well, we call it that karma is a field karma is a field of intentionality that is we generate particular tendencies that form us we call them our habits our inclinations our desires our aversions our favorites our pleasantness things we incline towards that forms a field it means we begin to shape our lives in those ways and they take on a definite form don't they our friendships our family our loyalties our, so on we, we they form and we become in some ways formed by them and naturally this is also potentially variable you can oh that looks interesting you can divert it you can expand it of course you can narrow it you know, the more one is averse and fearful, the narrower it gets. You know, the wider it gets, the more we potential we have, and the greater possibilities there are for options, for change, for empathy, for embrace. This is karmic field of the mind. You can narrow it right down to a dogmatic, fanatical, you know, there's only me and you right, and actually you're not right all the time, but I am you know, down to that <laughs> or you can expand it all to well, who, who cares what's right anymore what, what's comfortable, what's harmonious that's what counts mm. so you come into that this quality begins to change your language field and language is another field or articulation and it's not just with English or French or Zulu or whatever it is it's, it's the ability to form concepts and these concepts have potency and power to them and, the, and this is where it gets very uh, 
potentially dangerous and potentially beautiful. Mm. The language field. As we all know, words, concepts are what? You know, what's in a word? But they have tremendous potential when you say right and wrong. Mm. When you say German, English, when you use these words to define people. Mm. And they have huge potential. This is one of the, the fundamental uh, themes of the abstractors. The abstraction takes us into making a word and a concept and a belief and ideology into a tangible reality. And as you act upon so it becomes. We create differences where there weren't any because we label. Right? Yeah. And the labeling then acquires an emotional density to it. Right? You know, we label black, white, you know, and so on. And the world is, is shattered through that, isn't it? Through difference between you know, how we conceive of Arabs or Muslims or Jews or American Indians. You know, and then all the power of human brokenness, kind of trapping people into those where we no longer see you anymore. Mm. So the language field is a very powerful field, field of conceiving. Uh, and the Buddha is very direct about this he said conceiving is a dart conceiving is a problem conceiving is a plague conceiving is a, a wound abandon it <laughs> This is the, this is proliferation. This is the abstraction. Proliferation means it's starting to make that which conceivable into a definite three-dimensional object of them out there, separate from a me in here. This is this is a big problem. Mm-hmm. So the, the target abides without conceiving. Does not conceive of self. Does not conceive of a mind. Does not conceive of a them. Yeah. In seeing, does not conceive of a seer, does not conceive of a seen. <laughs> yeah. It's aware there is the seeing, yeah. and the seeing generates a scene, but there isn't, you know, does not conceive of that seeing to be a separate object. How could it be? How could there be a scene without a seeing? <laughs> so the, the seeing is not separate from the seeing, is it? You can't have a scene without a seeing. What is the most important thing is the seeing, right? Then the scene arises from the seeing. But when we ignore consciousness, the scene is a separate thing. How could it be separate? Because it can't be seen until I'm seeing it. <laughs> I'm automatically involved with that. Yeah. Yeah, but the eye, of course, infers distance and separation. This is the problem of the sense fields. They generate separation. 
and this becomes an absolute reality for people. And of course, you know, along with the sense fields is the, the mind field itself or the mano field. And this is where it, it's, again, the language is kind of difficult because uh, English language and Pali language don't necessarily exactly overlap. But in, in Pali you have mano, which is the con- organ of conceiving, the uh, organ of, of, uh, that abstracts and creates concepts. That's what we have. And you also have jitta, which we might say is more like heart or awareness, which is the organ or the experience of subjectivity. This is happening to me. Jitta is never separated. It's always, you know, experiencing something. Mano, we can conceive of something and it's out there. It cuts off. This is this organ. And one who contemplates and enters jitta understands the eye, understands the nose, understands the ear, understands the sense basis, and it understands the conceiving mind of what it is. And though recognizing this exists, this is a this is a a system we can operate within for useful purposes, but it's not to be taken as uh, a fundamental reality. It's just the system we can use for negotiation and organization, but it should not get out of hand. And the great abstractors moved into that and it, get, it gets out of hand. It becomes the reality, the conceivable. And you get very good at it, organizing, sorting, systematizing um, structures that actually categorize and separate everything because that's what it does, isn't it? It, That's its purpose, is to separate this from that so I can organize it. Tomorrow from yesterday, this place and that place, this person and that person, yeah, so I can kind of organize it and, you know, that has its uses as long as we don't let it get out of hand. And the great abstractors, the abstraction process does get out of hand, it becomes a fire, it becomes a conflagration of a thousand fragments with no harmony, no empathy. And this is the beginning of it. Now, many things I hope we can all be encouraged to do in our lives. And this is just, here we are on retreat. And maybe this is a little bit I can help with. I'm sure many of you know you have other ways and means of, of uh, cultivation. Perhaps this piece is the piece I can most help with, or most um, encourage. Because once, you, once the jitter gets a hold of this, then it, it really you've kind of opened the door to a tremendous flow of potential that would tend to happen by itself with some care. Once we've come through this problem of conceiving, of separating, things will tend to flow 
in accordance with with nature. We've entered the field, the dynamic field, and that dynamism, fed by empathy, can spread and change. Rather like a river, once you've once you've created a valley or an inclination, that river's going to flow down. You don't have to tell it to; it naturally flows down it, and as it flows down, it deepens it. As it deepens it, it flows stronger. It flows stronger, it flows wider, and it comes to the sea. Similarly, once we start to generate an inclination, and you flow your chitter down it, it's going to grow and strengthen down that channel, and it's going to widen it and deepen it and spread. And, uh, you know, of course, when you look at nature, you see sometimes there's some big rocks, and the river can either shift the rock or it goes round it. And this is similar to our own predicament. Some some big rocks there, you know, you, sometimes you can kind of actually push them out and sometimes you just, okay, we'll go around this physical limitation or, you know, like that. But you, you, you don't lose the current of it. There's a very nice uh, sutta, I thought I'd read some of it to you, because uh, in its own cryptic way, once you begin to kind of handle the language field with all its oddities. I must say this is kind of one of the most you know, admirable features of the Buddha, is that he decided he'd speak. <laughs> this is going to be confusing, but I'll do it. And again, in a story, uh, which of course on a logical level is just completely bewildering, is his, after his enlightenment, this Brahma Sahampati experience happens. And this is where the abstractors start to get a bit nervy because Brahma Sahampati, fairies, gods, what's that? You know, immaterial stuff does not exist. <laughs> But this some sort of something happens whereby this sense of the awareness, the sahampati means the the father of all, some sense of fathering or protecting or shielding everything arises. A vast field of, of protective awareness arises and speaks. You know, whatever you say speaks means messages across there are those with little dust in their eyes out of empathy pray present the Dhamma out of empathy he didn't say you know figure out some ideas and go and sort them out he <laughs> just says out of empathy proclaim teach the Dhamma for those with little dust in their eyes so the Buddha probably didn't quite know what to do but I don't know so he starts thinking, well, who do I have empathy? Well, there's my old teachers, like the penguin. Go back to the people who helped me. Oh, they've, they've died. Oh, dear. I'll go back to my colleagues. We didn't have such a good time together. 
you know, maybe we fell out, but at least we were sort of buddies for a while. Maybe I'll go and see them. <laughs> so again, you know, where does the empathy go? It goes to those, you know, you've had some sort of connections to it. So he starts walking. And I guess he didn't really know what to say. And then he comes to this place where there, his old buddies are sitting, and they're all going, oh, there we go, go to the man, he's a loser. <laughs> Could hack austerities, you know. And he says, look, friends, have you ever seen me like this before? Huh? I tell you, you know, he's looking pretty good. Have you ever seen me like this before? Well, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> look, I tell you, I've discovered the deathless. Oh, yeah? <laughs> look, I tell you. I tell him three times, he's looking pretty good, I must admit. Says, okay, well... And he finally says, funny, I feel like, please sit down. You know, suddenly they moved. Sits down and he says, look, there's a few things you don't, you want to avoid doing. You know, you want to avoid kind of mortifying the senses or getting lost in them, indulging yourself in them. So you find the middle way. And they're listening. Because oh, they've been mortifying. To get out the senses, you kind of crush them. He says, no, that's not it. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And says this middle way, which is this kind of balance of harmony. And, you know, one of them gets it. And they all listen, because of his tremendous empathy. And um, beginning to spin some words around that, that actually reach these people. Entering this language field, and trying to find some words that would touch people, and the big word that touches people, suffering, Right? Because everybody knows that. So he teaches this. And people say, oh, the Buddha teaches suffering? What a drag. I don't want to say, no, no. Yeah. He teaches the way out of suffering. Oh. Yeah. So this is, the lang- this is where the Buddha says, this is the bit of language I can get to people through. Yeah. And so he opens that up because nobody wants to suffer. And then you begin to be get more honest, you realize, yeah, actually, I do suffer quite a bit. You know, and everybody's doing it, so suddenly there's a sense of compassion because you recognise everybody's in it together. And something starts to open. Empathy, compassion, goodwill, kindness and so on. And then that's it, you're you're on to the chitta field. You use the language field to enter the field of the chitta, field of empathy. And this goes on, you see. Actually, you know, one who really contemplates, understands these fields, recognizing, you know, unlike the sense, the the world that we seem to be in through the sense spaces, this one doesn't die. You know, sure. How could it die? I mean, where did it, could you see where it was born? Did you? Did you see it arise? Did you see the jitta being born? Did you see it aging? Hmm? Does that sense of empathy, does that age? Does it grow grey? Does it go toothless? Does it, no, I don't think so. Why should it die then? Hmm. And the Buddha, having penetrated that field, says, well, it doesn't die, actually, it just goes on. 
and on and on and its generations landing like a spark in these sense fields and igniting another birth another formation and you know this is certainly and the, the movement of that is karma inclination towards sparking into another sense base another sense fields the arising of the sense fields another birth now you know from a from person doesn't understand fields hasn't entered them looks at sense bases only as reality this is pretty difficult to handle you know But it's like, you know, you see a, uh, you look at, you see some grass on fire. You see, you see there's a some, you know, few tuft of grass on fire. You look at that fire. And somebody says, you know, that fire could burn that house down a mile away. Yeah, come on. That fire's on that grass. I tell you, that fire could burn that house a mile away. No. How can a, what's the fire going to do? Get in a car and travel? <laughs> How can it do that? How can that blade of grass travel from there to there carrying a fire? You must be crazy. The blade of grass doesn't travel anywhere, but that fire does. You know, when you look at at a person and you think the blade of grass is the person, the material form is the person, how's that going to go to somewhere else? How's that going to be reborn? Well, naturally, it doesn't make sense. But you look at the fire of it and yeah you know well what happens to the fire the fire makes the air dry dry air yeah that makes everything dry that fire travels a little bit of wind and that fire's going to burn the house down a mile away right? happens doesn't it you these fires leaping across the planet and you know, you recognise this human birth is dry. The fire can travel. In fact, how can it not travel? You can feel the fire of hatred travel across the planet. You can feel the fire of greed running across the planet. It doesn't have to get in a car or a plane to travel. It's not a lump. It's an energy force and it spreads across the planet like fire. So the idea that the material is how bounded, the immaterial is bounded in the material, is an upside down inversion. The idea that the immaterial is bound within the material, no, the material arises from the immaterial. From conceiving of people as, as other, from conceiving we create them as other and we act upon them as other therefore they become other you've just born made something come into being that didn't need to be born but our power of abstraction does that actually you know in the world of the immaterial it's pretty seamless and just as greed can run, as hatred can run, 
so empathy and compassion can run, can flow. This is a potential of fields, and naturally there are many obstacles in that. But when one enters that, and trusts that, because this is really where I am, my life force is in this, my heart is in this, it must flow, it must do that. If it doesn't, I am consigning this to death, to the world of brokenness, separation, atrophy, stuck. And I can't, you know, you don't need to do that. So here's this sutta, a bit of it anyway, it's the honey ball. where the Buddha's language field and this is where a, a sophist called Dandapani a great one of the great abstractors in his own day <laughs> Dandapani the Sakyan walking wandering around comes to the uh, where the Buddha's sitting exchanges greetings with him hello how are you doing what's the weather like and so forth and he says what's your teachings then you know, so he says okay Get, get your get your ideology around and we'll have a bit ideological sword fight and that's basically where he's throwing down the gauntlet you know what's your what's your stick let me have a go at that and the Buddha says well friend first word friend <laughs> yeah. after the you know it's kind of a little bit of a dandelion is leaning on his stick saying okay well you got and the Buddha says friend <laughs> I assert and proclaim in such a way that one does not quarrel with anyone in the world, with its gods, Maras, Brahmas, generations of recluse and Brahmas, its princes and people, in such a way that perceptions no more, more, no more underlie that Brahman who abides detachment sense pleasures without perplexity, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. This is what I teach. So Dandapani the Sakyan shook his head, wagged his tongue, raised his eyebrows until his forehead was puckered in three lines. Then he departed, leaning on his stick. <laughs> so obviously, oh, couldn't really get a handle on that one. Because <laughs> it wasn't an ideology. <laughs> Ideological position was an abstract concept to wrangle with. You just go, okay, go and find someone else. So then the Buddha, the bhikkhus come to see him. The Buddha <coughs> says, well, how do you, how do, you do this? What, 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 could you give us some details on that that teaching you just gave to Dastapani? <laughs> how is it that one doesn't, one abides detached from sense pleasures without perplexity, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. Bhikkhu, as to the source through which perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset someone, if nothing is found there to delight in, welcome and hold to, this is the end of the underlying tendency to lust, of the underlying tendency to aversion, 
have the underlying tendency to views, have the underlying tendency to doubt, have the underlying tendency to conceit, have the underlying tendency to desire for being, have the underlying tendency to ignorance. This is the end of resorting to rods and weapons, of quarrels, brawls, disputes, recrimination, malicious words and false speech. Here these evil, unwholesome states cease without remainder. This is what the Blessed One said. Having said this, the Sublime One rose from his seat and went into his dwelling. (laughs) (laughs) So, because of probably sort of a bit gobsmacked, and they're sitting there in silence, one of them. Uh, And somebody says, well, he gave us a discourse. Could someone help to explain that, expound this in detail? Because, you know, they probably had this thing sitting there. Right. Uh, and then, so they go and ask Mahakachana, another bhikkhu praised by the, the Buddha. And Mahakachana comes along and they say, yeah, hello Mahakachana, how are you doing? How's your arms, food, and so forth? Sit down, there are a few pleasantries. And they say, could you, you know, tease this one out for us? And Mahakachana says, well, you know, you should have asked the Buddha, really, because he's the one who knows. Um, we should have asked him. And they said, well, well no, we should have, but <laughs> <laughs> perhaps you could do it for us. So then, it's okay. So then he says, well, the detail of all that is dependent on the iron forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact is conditioned, there is feeling. What one feels, that one perceives. So here the subject comes in. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. With what one is mentally proliferated is the source, perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset a person with respect to past, future and present forms cognizable through the eye. It goes through each of the senses faces in that like fashion depend upon the eye and the form eye consciousness arises there is something there don't know what it is certainly some kind of form arises and then contact happens and there's an impression feeling then feeling comes and as one begins to locate that object in one's mind that's so-and-so, that's a cat, that's a snake, that's a tree, that's my friend, that's my aunt, whatever, that's the person who owes me 5,000 rand, whatever it is, then one mentally proliferates. You shouldn't do that, I want that. So the mind starts stirring. And then these things cascade. And we become overwhelmed with these thoughts and notions and agitations, uh, pleasant, unpleasant. Um, and then there comes the, uh, you know, the disappointments and the uh, activities and then the disputes and so forth occur around these mental proliferations. So eventually what all comes down to, any of the sense fields are doing their, their thing, which is presenting a separate world, because that's, that's their, that's what they do. That's kind of okay, that's the deal. 
sense sense organs of that and then the mental proliferation takes that as a reality and starts to spin separate objects out of what actually are only separate in one way in the sensory way as you know how come you can remember your father how come you can hear somebody say something they said five years ago and it's still resonating through your mind how come how come you can see someone and you can remember them you don't just go wonder what that thing is you know something arises where's that this is jitta you can't actually experience the world properly without jitta because your sense feels can only say that's a blue object you know it's only because your jitta can say oh that reminds me of you know kidisara or something and then ah then all this emotional whatever comes up and one can know it as that so so when there's the manifestation of contact it's possible to point out the manifestation of feeling perception thinking and being overwhelmed by all that but when there is no I I organ no form no eye consciousness it's impossible to do this when there's no ear no sound no ear consciousness no nose consciousness no mind consciousness then it's impossible to, to have perceptions born of proliferation. This is the end of the underlying tendency to lust, to aversion, to views, to doubt, to conceit, to being, to ignorance, resulting in rods and weapons, quarrels, brawls, disputes, recrimination, malicious words and false speech. So he summarises it. And um, you know, I don't know whether they've got it or not, because he doesn't say and you know many probably many times we look at that and we think wow what's that mean no eyes no ears no mind sounds like what's that thing if you're walking around blind deaf dumb um <laughs> you know brainless is that what it takes i guess it would work uh, but no, you don't have to do that because that's just as long as you assume your reality to be that of the sense fields, that's what it sounds like. But when you come into chitta, there's no eyes, there's no ears, there's no nose, there's no physical body, there's no conceiving mind there's energies perception moods feelings inclinations but this is where the sense fields don't reach in there this is where me and you don't have to arise. You haven't really destroyed anything. You just stop creating it. Uh, 
and we didn't really even stop them, we just moved, or the awareness moved to the place where those don't arise. Hmm? That doesn't have to arise. So you just look at this, enter it, you know, really begin to lay aside what we've been so sort of programmed into through the sense fields and through the abstraction process. You know, where the world becomes bound to materiality and materiality must have death in it and those who are bound to materiality are also bound to death, separation, quarrels, disputes, territory, gaining, losing, superior, inferior here and there and they're bound to that it doesn't have to be that way you know, if we come into citta, there's a possibility to enter a realm that's never only broken by our uncertainties, by our anxieties, by our cloudedness, by our stubbornness, by our whatever, you know, only obscured by obscurations that can be dispelled. With the ending of this, then there's the ending of the disputes, the rods, the weapons. Now, you know, this precious possibility, you know, this is where the stream starts. And someone who has entered this, is called someone who's entered the stream. They, that stream does not go back. And it may be just a little trickle, and it moves a little bit, and it shifts a few little pebbles. But if we stay in that stream, it's going to get bigger and stronger and move. And this isn't something we have to, you know, even think about that much. But you begin to notice the more that you really recognize that that tension, that resistance to fear, uncertainty, nothing I can do, whatever, and you begin to relax around that, then the empathy grows and potentials arise and possibilities for healing, for compassion, for sharing, for generosity, for skillfulness become available. And, you know, what about potential, I would suggest, as, as practitioners, is can we include other humans, other animals, the earth, planet, all of it. Even just to, you know, even if we do is just pray to it and see what where that will take us. So we have a day of practice and uh, you know, as you find your own place, your own strengths, your own clarity, just see what you can spread that to. Just walking around, just start to consider, you know, looking at the trees and the animals, it's just in that sense of this also is a living being. I'm bound to its destiny. If I, you know, if this is destroyed, 
we are destroyed. If this grows, we will grow. Mm. Bearing this in mind. And you feel something very, just very beautiful about being in nature with an open heart. You feel blessed to be in uh, an empathic relationship with the, even with uh, beings that haven't entered the language field yet. So, I hope some, something there has been useful and offer this for your reflection.